Welcome to episode 774 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 774 of I Am Talk with Coach Sean Newsom, Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Pretty good, Bevan. I'm expecting a big performance out of you today. You need to bring your A game to the show. I've got, I, I literally arrived home two o'clock this morning. The alarm went off at quarter to uh, probably half past five. And I've got every minute of my day is booked out till seven o'clock tonight. So I am shocker blocker. So what is what do you do? I'm not busy, John. I'm just <laughs> overbooked. You're going to be efficient. That's efficient. what you're going to be That's today. Efficient. I'm talking proudly brought to you by Beam. Creates uh, Beam creates high quality functional supplements for better balance, performance, recovery, and sleep. Remember, use the discount code IMTalk at checkout. Also, we've got our patrons, John. Let's name a few. George, Mr. Money Banks. Keith, the Ice Lord Manning. And Marcus Thunderbolt Aronson. Okay, this week's show, it's a bit of a funny one because we recorded this last week because I just got back from Australia and then I'm going on holiday again this week. So um, we're basically doing a short news. We've got a hot topic, then we've got an interview. We have. We're talking with Rob Cummins, who is a listener of the show. And a few years ago, he wrote a book called Chasing Kona, From Back of the Pack Smoker to Racing the Ironman World Championships in Kona, uh, which I thought would be worthwhile getting him on. It was a few years ago that he did the book and, and quite a few years ago that he did the race. But always good to know how age groupers can come from nowhere to actually making it to Kona. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting interview and it definitely shows the insight of if you want to go to that next level, sometimes you've got to go to the next level. Um, and that's pretty much a today's show done and dusted after that. John, now obviously we are recording this before racing happened last weekend, but we did have Ironman Ken's on last weekend. Uh, also, we had the World Triathlon Leads. Uh, just question, uh, predictions. Predictions? Yeah, who won? Well, we're patriotic Kiwis, so I'm going to go in Cairns. Uh, Amelia Watkinson uh, took out the females race. And whilst we interviewed um, Max Newman, who won the race last year, uh, and we want him to do extremely well because he came on the show for an interview, um, I've got to go for Mike Phillips because he's from Christchurch. Now, just knowing Mike, what kind of form is he in? I haven't seen Mike for quite a while, so... Um, I think he'd be in okay form. He did okay at Ironman New Zealand, didn't didn't win it. Um, but he'll be if he's if he's if Mike's at his top game, he's always going to be very competitive. Yeah. Whether or not he's his top game, we will have found out at the weekend. Oh, good times, rock and roll. And I've got to ITU. say, Lucy Charles raced uh, ITU at the weekend, and my prediction is she finished in seventh place. And oh, really? It was, no, it was, that was a World Cup, wasn't it? Well, no, it was a World Championship Series race. Do you think so, she'll put? Do you think she could pull off a seventh? I think because I think she'll get in a break. we have breakaway on the bike, and I think she she's a good enough runner. If they have a good break, uh, that she'll going to finish in seventh place. And then Hayden Wild won the men's race. So there you, you go. Re- that was. No, you could, you really think she could pull off a seventh? We, we, we talked about this last week. I know, I know, but okay, okay, okay. If it's okay. A, if it's a run, if it's a running race, no chance. If it's breakaway, then she's got a got a good chance. One thing you have got here is you're struggling with the rebranding of ITU to World Triathlon. It's weird. It's just so you don't call it ITU anymore. It's called World Triathlon. Yeah. I just find it weird. It's yeah. It's been ITU for so long. The International Triathlon Unit. Now everything's World Triathlon. So it's not a World Triathlon series race now. You've just got to say that's a World Triathlon and World Triathlon. It's like World Triathlon is like Iron Man as a brand. And I'm just struggling with it, Bevan. I'm struggling with it. But hey. The racing's going to be awesome. It's, uh, so when they have a World Triathlon World Cup race? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, what's the elite races called? They're called... Well, they're called World Triathlon Series. But everything, you just got to call it World Triathlon. Some, you know what's happening? Some marketing person's coming, John. They paid a lot, mm. of, a lot of money to get there, figured out, you know? I know. Yeah. It's weird. But, but in, fairness, in fairness to them, if you are somebody who knows nothing about the sport, World Triathlon makes a lot more sense than ITU. It's true. But yeah, maybe I'm just a bloody dinosaur. I just like things like FINA and swimming and uh, the IAAF and athletics and just World Triathlon. Doesn't sound right. Anyway, 
not a big deal. I'm missing the beat with John. You said we were talking about not a big deal was last week's discussion. We did this before we went away <laughs> because we only had six answers on it. So what have been some of the habits you picked up during lockdown that you maybe need to lose? Um, and... David Hale said, oh, sorry, I've got to start from the bottom, haven't I? James Thomas, uh, on the plus side, uh, he, he had two comments. Complete lack of swimming has turned into a mental block about getting back in the water. And he says, on the plus side, I finally started doing some resistance training rather than none. Okay, we've got what David Hale's got, and I'm sure a lot of people had this experience, not training at all. That's not good. And I know David's a bit sick right now, so hopefully you get better, David. But um, yeah, not training. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people fell away. Did you see some of your athletes? I think the motivation to do really high level training um, waned a bit. And for those that are still in severe lockdowns, it's, it's, it's becoming very, very challenging. But my experiences from almost everybody was training was, it was a release and it was something that they kept them sort of sane, especially when you were confined to your own place. So I'd say, Yes, the motivation to do the crazy long stuff and, and the incredibly tough stuff when you didn't know when your next racing race was going to be. Um, that was fairly common. But I didn't have many or any people really that said, hey, I'm not doing any training. Um, so anyway, uh, Sean Dench, midweek long rides when I'm supposed to be logged in and working from home. Good old Lucy Francis got lunchtime training whilst working from home. As Rift road on the road runs, for example, I will miss the efficiency of these when I have to do some mid work riding on my own. I didn't uh, think I would enjoy this so much, but also lost another gear and starting riding with others to push. I need to start riding with others to push me again. Uh, last one we've got there is John Weir. Not COVID related, but I've neglected yoga and stretching. So. A lot of these are a bit of contrast to what I sort of saw. I, I kind of felt that quite a few people actually picked up their yoga and stretching and resistance and strength work, um, partly because they couldn't swim for so long. Uh, and so they were looking for different alternatives. So yeah, I guess what I saw was a little bit contrasted to what some of these people experienced here. Our, our lockdown, I know a lot of you guys in different parts of the world have had different things going on. Ours wasn't that long and uh, it felt long at the time, but looking back compared to what other people have lived through it did you but did you train more in lockdown uh i did quite a bit of zwift sort of stuff and, and organizing zwift group rides and so we did um i don't think it was during lockdown that we did bloody the london big london ride on zwift where it was like five and a half hours so um i guess how my training changed obviously no swimming for, for a period and that was a bit of a challenge getting back into the pool um, certainly did a bit more yoga and a bit more strength work during that period because I had a bit more time um, so I think that in terms of the things I'd want to change and I see a number of people needing to change is a bit what Lucy commented on is she ended up obviously doing everything by herself um, but I think a lot of people are sort of staying on that pathway and I think the a, the enjoyment of training with others is really important, but also it just pushes you out of your comfort zone. And yeah. you can sometimes just get in that little mode of going, I'm just doing my thing and I'm going to stick to my numbers and all that sort of stuff. And, and you, you struggle to get out of your comfort zone. And, and often that can be a big difference in terms of your race day performance is when you're forced to do something, get a bit more uncomfortable for a longer period of time. And then that's, can transfer across to racing when you are in that place where you've got to go really, really deep. Um, your training partners or your, your your club or group rides or whatever can can sometimes help you push to that place which you might not otherwise be able to do. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting because I in lockdown I got really into back into my running which I really enjoyed. It was actually nice to have the freedom because my job I do so much exercise with my job. It was nice to have the freedom just to kind of focus on a singular sport again. Um, but any, any bad habits that came out of lockdown for me? No, and I think you and I are lucky because that kind of, while lockdown did change life a little bit, our day to day, because we both work from home, our structurally was very much the same, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, this week's discussion of if any triathlete, past or present, from your country was to be the flag bearer at the Olympics for the entire team, who would that be and why? Hmm, interesting question. I think New Zealand's pretty obvious. Yes, pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah, pretty obvious. But there's lots of countries where this you go. Oh, yeah, like New Zealand's pretty obvious. You go Hamish Carter. He's a he's a gold yeah. medal winner. But 
what about Erin Baker? Yeah, I know she didn't go to the Olympics, um, but because it didn't exist for, for triathlon. Um, other countries like yeah, Australia and America and Great Britain, that'll be uh, Great Britain should be pretty straightforward with Alistair Brownlee. But um, yeah, Erin was so dominant. If the Olympics on, she's the favourite. Uh, over Olympic distance, yeah. I would have said yes. Yeah, she was extremely dominant across all distances, except in Kona. You know, then she came up against Paula Newby Fraser, where she had, uh, you know, I, I, I would imagine Paula possibly had a win record on her in Kona. I think she probably did. Um, so that was the one race where she wasn't the absolute dominator. She won it twice, didn't she? So mm. she was on um, the podium a couple of times as well. Yeah. Okay, uh, so that's this week's discussion. Who would be your flag bearer from your country if a triathlete was chosen to take on that role? Now, we did an interview. We've got an interview coming up, Jumbo. Rob Cummins. So we'll do an intro before we get into it. Here he comes. Okay, here's Rob Cummins right now. Sweet. Right, guys. Um, it's always good to have uh, some listeners on the show, and uh, especially when they're patrons. And today's listener um, has actually written a book that he sent to us a number of years ago called Chasing Kona, From Back of the Pack Smoker to Racing the Ironman World Championships in Kona. His name's Rob Cummins, and somehow we came up with the nickname The Greater, and I've got no idea how we did that. So um, welcome along to the show, Rob. How are you going? Hey, John. Hey, Bev. Hey, mate. Um, right, so the, the title of your book, you know, From Back of the Pack Smoker to Racing the Ironman World Championships kind of paints a bit of a picture, but um, let's uh, just give us a bit of an idea on what life was looking like you when you, you decided to take up triathlon and, and when that was. Uh, the, the first time I'd seen Kona, bef long before I'd, I'd taken up uh, triathlon, I was... Uh, I would have been a drinker, not with a, you know, early 20s, would have just gone drinking weekends and stuff like that. And it would have just been a normal part of, of life. Um, it wasn't a particular problem, but it, it just meant that you'd get drunk on a Friday night, you'd get drunk on a Saturday night, the weekends were written off, you'd be hungover all day. And, and I never really did anything sporty. Um, I was a, a really heavy smoker, had been from 13 or 14 I'd started smoking and um, I'd smoked all through my, my teenage years and into my early 20s and I was sitting on the couch uh, one morning fairly hungover uh, flicking through Eurosport and I found this Ironman race on, on Eurosport and and I was I was flicking through I wasn't that interested in it. I was probably looking for motorsport or you know I, I wasn't particularly interested in endurance sports, but something that the, the commentator said really caught me attention. They, they talked about the distances that these guys were doing. And I flicked back in. I, I changed stations and flicked back, and I was waiting for them to talk about it again. But I, I'd assumed it was over, you know, a couple of days. <laughs> like, I had no clue about endurance sports. I, had, I, I knew nothing about it. And uh, the more I was watching, I was realizing these guys are doing the whole lot in one day and I just thought it was the mentalist thing I'd ever heard and I, I sat there and watched the whole race really hung over pretty sick and chain smoking and drinking coffee and but it had a huge impact I just sat there and I, I, I thought okay I'm going to do that I had no idea what that meant I didn't know it was a world championships I didn't know you had to qualify for it I didn't know anything I just sort of thought I want to do that There's someday I'm going to do that so that was sort of my first introduction to, to triathlon and um i opened a bike shop uh my own business probably i don't know a year or two years later and stopped smoking a few months afterwards and started cycling and uh and went out and one of the young guys that worked for me uh was a mountain biker he brought me out and went out cycling with him and i was rubbish you know, we'd, we'd cycle up, we, we were out mountain biking, we were riding up a hill, I had to stop every hundred metres and I was coughing up all this brown shit from years and years of smoking and I was really unhealthy. And I, I thought it was a stupid thing to be doing, cycling up the side of a hill, um, until we turned around and went back down and I was sort of hooked on the adrenaline thing. So I mountain biked for a couple of years, tried racing, finished last and in, in the first couple of races or, or very close to the back end of the field. Um, and... I switched over to, to road racing after a, a couple of years, 
mostly for convenience. I found to go mountain biking, I had to drive an hour to the trails, then you get to ride for an hour, and then it was an hour home. So it was three or four hours out of your day for a very small amount of riding, whereas you could walk out your front door and, and be on the bike. And, and you're, you know, you do two or three hours, you've got two or three hours of riding. And I, I, I got into the road racing and, and road riding and worked up through the first couple of categories in that. But I was still, I was a very mid back of the pack sort of a rider. I wouldn't have been fast. I, I you know, I used to look at guys winning third cat races and I just thought they were from a different planet. I couldn't understand how somebody could be that fast. And then there was still second cats, first cats, elites and, and pros ahead of that so I was very much back of the pack and and sort of thought that's where where I belonged you know mm. so I, I did a, a bit of bike racing and a friend of mine a South African guy convinced me to to do a triathlon in 2003 so I did uh, the Dublin City Triathlon and Olympic distance was my first one and I think I was second last out of the water I probably got off the bike in about sixth or seventh and then got passed by everybody again on the run. Um, so it was, uh, it, but I was hooked. It, it was completely different to road racing. It was like, I was, I don't know, I might've finished a hundredth or something like that. And there was still people standing there cheering at the finish line. Like if you finished five minutes behind the, 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 the finishing group in a road race, they were all gone home. You know, you, you'd come across the finish line and there was nobody there. You'd wonder, had you had you missed something or taken a wrong turn, whereas an hour after the, the the winners had come in, there was still people standing there cheering, and it was a really social sport, and I loved it. I was hooked from the the first minute. I gotta say, it's a bit of a um, interesting move going from your your background into opening a bike shop. Um, how did you kind of decide <laughs> that that was, the, that was a good idea? Uh, I just wanted to work for myself. Uh, my dad had had his own company. Um, and I, I used to look at him and I thought, okay, I want to be the boss. Um, I didn't like working for people. I was, I was a problem teenager, I suppose. I didn't react well to authority. So the idea of being in charge appealed to me. So I, I'd worked in the motor trade for, for a number of years and in retail. And I, I just wanted to work for myself. And the job I had in, in the motor trade was to develop new product lines for this uh, chain of, of uh, motor factors. So I, I'd brought in a number of new lines and I'd seen them become very successful. And every time I brought in a new line and saw it become successful, I sort of thought I could have done that for myself. And I decided we were going to start selling bike accessories and cycle parts. You know, there's a, a chain in, in the UK called Halfords that sells bike accessories and bikes alongside car parts. So I sort of thought we could do that. So I started to do it and uh, introduced the, the range of, of accessories. And as I was setting everything up, I sort of thought, this is the one that I want to do. I want this one for myself. So I started to almost sabotage it. I hit everything down the back of the shop and I started working on opening up accounts for myself. And again, I had no clue about running a business. I was 23 or something. Um, I'd no money. Uh, and I spent about six months working with a, a business mentor and put a plan together and somehow convinced somebody in the bank to give me a, an overdraft and opened a small bike shop. But it was very much a case of I saw an opportunity locally. Uh, I liked bikes um, from when I was a kid. I had no interest in the sporty side of it. I, I, I couldn't get my head around riding for an hour, never mind riding for two or three or four hours. I thought anyone that did that was pretty crazy, you know. But it was very much a business decision as opposed to a lifestyle decision. And you still own the bike shop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're 23 years now. What's the key to Because it's interesting, we, we don't really respect to bike shop owners. What's the key to being successful in that game? Uh, there's a couple of things, I suppose. Um, the, the first one is probably service. Um, the, the bike industry was disrupted with, with the internet, you know, online selling and stuff like that um, about 15 or 16 years ago. So the only thing... I realized the only thing that differentiated us from any of the online shops was what we did both during a sale and afterwards. So we tried to differentiate ourselves from what, if you buy a, a bike on the internet, you're handed a box. If you come into us, we give you unlimited free servicing for life. You can bring the bike back at any stage. Your, your standard service is free. We do a bike fit. Um, 
free of charge. We extend the, the warranty on the products. Um, we, we add an, an awful lot of extra service and we realize that there's, there's a couple of types of customers. There's a type of customer, particularly the, the, the really high-end enthusiasts, who can do all their own repairs. And, you know, the racing guys don't necessarily need a bike shop to fit a chain and cassette. But the, the new cyclists and, and the leisure riders, they want someone to do all that for them. So I think once you decide which side of the fence you're sitting on, you're either selling on price on the internet or you're selling on service in a bricks and mortar shop. Once you sort of commit to that, that's the, the first thing. Um, and if you are selling a service, then there was a, a seminar I went to about 12 or 13 years ago. And one of the guys reckoned there was three types of customers. There's a customer buys on price. There's a customer who buys on service and he'll always buy on service. Uh, the price-based customer will always buy the cheapest product. If that's with you today, it's with you today. If it's with the online guy tomorrow, it's with the online guy tomorrow. And he said the third type could be swayed either way. If he walks into you today and there's a big discount on the bike and it looks like good value, he'll buy from you. Or if you can, cons- if you can convince him your service is worth it, he'll buy for you. So he said the only customer you need to go after is the one who's going to be swayed either way. If you get him, you'll automatically get the guy who's buying on service. You'll end up with two thirds of the market. So that's sort of the way we developed the business. And I suppose over the last 12 or 13 years, we've grown from uh, 700 square feet to 14,000 square feet. We'd be the biggest bike retailer, specialist bike retailer in the country. Um, It sounds like your early experiences in the sport were pretty positive. Um, You know, you've been in the sport quite a while now. I mean, has that changed much in terms of how, you know, listeners and how other people can actually make the sport a bit more welcoming? No, I think triathlon is still very welcoming. Um, I think it's, it's one of the real strengths of the sport. Um, it's very different to when I started, uh, probably similar to, to your experience. You're, you're in it a long time now and it's very different. You know, Ironman is very slick now. Um, when I entered my first Ironman, or when I entered my first Ironman, it was very different. Like that was 2008, and it's changed a lot in the, in 13 years. But even going back before that, my first triathlon, like it, you know, there wasn't transition racks, there wasn't goodie bags. There was you were handed a t-shirt, maybe a medal, and and that was it. You know, so it was you were sort of all in, you know, you were down at, at the river, and then you were all in a field afterwards. There was a bit of a barbecue, and it, it was sort of like a a family barbecue as opposed to the big slick races you see now. And a lot of the smaller, a lot of the races were like that. They were small, a hundred, 200 people. Um, it's very different now in terms of the size, but I think the atmosphere is still very similar. It's really welcoming. You know, it's great fun to just be at a triathlon for the atmosphere, even if you're not racing. You, you, you kind of start the sport, you know, you've got a bit of a bit of a cycling history, you get into sport, you weren't that successful early on. At what stage did kind of the Kona experience become on the radar and, and realistic for you? It was, um, I, 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 I decided to do uh, Ironman France in 2008. Um, so I, I was, I was very much a beginner at the Ironman stuff, at the long distance stuff. I'd been racing the shorter course for four or five years. And I, I'd moved from the back of the pack to I might finish 20 or 30th in a, a race with two or 300 people. So I wasn't particularly fast, but I'd, I'd sort of learned the basics of racing. Um, so I, I sort of thought, okay, I'll go and give this Ironman thing a crack. And I reckoned, you know, I didn't think I was going to finish 20 or 30th, but I also didn't think I was going to finish 1,000th out of 1200 which is where i finished in in france um it was a real eye-opener how difficult it was um and it, i i sort of thought after france i i met my my wife my second wife uh just just before france and and we got together just after it and i spent a year training for ironman switzerland we were going to do it together and i thought i was training properly and I sort of thought you know I'd like to see how fast I can actually get so I went and I trained really hard for a year much harder than I had done for France and I think I finished 900 instead of 950th <laughs> so at that stage I sort of I reckoned okay you're just slow that's 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 your speed you know you can probably do 30th in a local race but you're never going to be any good at the Ironman stuff um we moved business uh from the small shop to the big shop 
uh, in 2010 and about a year in I, I'd always had the dream of doing Kona um, I, I'd, I'd since learned what it was and I said it to Ashling, my wife um, somewhere in 10, 11 I asked her what did she think and she was Ashling was a very successful runner she was a, an elite international runner an ultra runner and a, a mountain runner and she'd have a much better understanding of what it would take to race at that level than I would I hadn't got a clue um, I was training for a week and thinking I was training hard for an Ironman and couldn't figure out why I was finishing 950th. Um, and I asked her, what did she think? Did I have a chance of qualifying for Kona? And she immediately says, yeah, that's a fucking great idea. Let's do it. <laughs> so, you know, and I trust her, you know. So I said, okay, that's great. Okay, somebody believes in me that I trust. So I thought, okay. So I, I started Googling it, you know. How do you train for Kona? And, you know, the first answer was like, the average Kona qualifier trains 30 hours a week. And I went, fuck, I probably can't do that. So the second answer was like, the average Kona qualifier trains for 12 hours a week. And I thought, well, I could probably do that. And then, you know, the third answer was it was 20 hours a week. So I had all these different answers from the internet and I hadn't got a clue what I was looking at. So I, I, I said it to Ash, you know, I said, I, I was doing some research and it's somewhere between, you know, 12 and 30 hours. And I reckon I could probably do 15 or 16 and, she says, why don't you stop looking at stupid shit in the internet and we'll just get a coach. Get someone who actually knows what they're talking about and he'll teach you how to do it. He'll give you a plan. And uh, I said, okay. So we, we knew uh, uh, an ex-pro who was racing here on, on the Irish scene and we knew he was doing a little bit of coaching and uh, we approached him and, and asked him. He, we, we, we sort of approached him on, on a, in a sideways sort of a way. We, we asked him to come in and give a talk in the bike shop about triathlon. And then ambushed him after he gave the talk and asked him what he coached me. Um, and when I asked him, what did he think? Did I have a chance of getting to Kona? He just looked at me and said, no, not a fucking chance. You know, um, he'd seen me racing for four or five years. And, you know, he's seen me finishing, you know, 30th or 40th in small Irish races and coming nowhere in Ironmans. And, and he sort of backtracked a little bit. You could see I was sort of disappointed. <laughs> he, 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 he's not the sort of guy that would be too, he's a German guy. So he's very matter of fact, you know, it's like, yeah. I hurt your feelings, you know, suck it up. But he said, yeah, maybe if you train for, you know, three years, maybe. But no, I don't think you can get to Kona. And I, I said, okay, well, do you know how to coach somebody to get them to Kona? And he said, yeah, of course I do. And I says, okay, give me that plan. I said, if you break me, I'll take responsibility for it. If I don't get to Kona, I'll take responsibility for it. You just give me the plan for somebody who's going to Kona. I'll do it and I'll take responsibility for whatever happens. And he was really reluctant, but he said, okay, I'll give you the plan. So he started coaching me. And I think my previous week's training was like six hours and the next week's training was 30 hours. <laughs> I think he was really trying to, you know, I'll show you comments. You think you can do this, you know? So at least it was hard to know. He's German. Like I said, he was very deadpan. You know, here's your plan. Do it. So the, at the end of the week, uh, I had a sprint triathlon that I had to ride 50 kilometers to do the race and then ride 50K home. And I came third and I won me age group and I'd never won anything, you know. I'd never won anything in my entire life. I'd never come third in anything in my entire life. Now, it, it was a small race. There was like, I don't know, 150 people in it. Um, but it was like, Jesus, just training a shitload works, you know? After about two weeks, I couldn't get out of bed. You know, I was just completely fried. And it went like that for a couple of months. That would have been uh, April I started with him. And we'd entered Florida in November. And he came back and he could see I was doing the work and he said, you can't do Florida. And I said, why not? And he says, it's pancake flat. You weigh like 65 kilos. He says, they're going to kill you. He says, you're not strong enough and you can't swear more to shite. So he said, you need to pick a race that suits you. He says, you're good in the hills. He says, pick somewhere hilly. So we were looking at um, Regensburg was on at the time and Ironman UK. And he reckoned Ironman UK was the better one. He says, you're not going to deal with heat. He says, it's a really hilly bike, a really hilly run and an easy swim. He says, it'll suit you. The problem was it was on in about four months. So we said, okay, I, like I hadn't got a clue, you know, I, I really didn't know how hard it was going to be or if it was going to be possible. So um, he'd keep on giving me these weeks with, you know, 20, 22, 23 hours. And then we did a, a couple of big training camps. So we did a, a bike week in Ireland. Uh, there's a, an international bike race in Ireland. Um, and that year there was a, a sportif 
that ran alongside it. So it was a uh, 1200k over eight days. So I did that and I'd run off the bike in the afternoons or in the evenings. And, um, and you know, that was a 45 hour week, six weeks into training. And again, I'd be four days after that and I literally couldn't get out of bed. I wouldn't be able to go into work. I'd, I'd sleep all day. Just, you know, I'd try and wake up in the morning to supposed to go training. I'd just get back into bed at 10 o'clock and I'd, I'd sleep all day and I'd sleep most of that night and I'd lose three or four days training. So it was this real extreme on and off training. I'd do 20, 30, 40, 50 hours and I'd fall apart for a week. And he, he was looking at me. He just, he must've thought that I was the biggest dope on the planet. You know, I, I clearly wasn't, able for the amount of training I was doing and I was frying myself doing it but I kept on coming back for more um, and I think we did a, a couple of races then uh, I did a few Olympic distance races and I'd, I'd go from coming I'd have a really good week in training I'd be flying I'd go and do a race and I'd come nowhere in it I'd, you know I'd come 200 in a race with 300 people in it and we couldn't figure out what was going on why I wouldn't respond to training one week and I would the, the, the next and then the next week I'd go and I'd race and I'd be fine and about six weeks maybe before Ironman UK I went and raced the nationals and I was starting to get confident at that stage that I was in good shape I could see the numbers I knew the bike speed I was holding I could see the way I was running I still wasn't swimming very well but I wasn't worried about that in an Ironman and I went down there reasonably confident thinking I'd, I'd maybe take a top 20 in the nationals you know maybe podium in an age group and I came nowhere. I was 150th for no reason. We'd taken a small bit of a taper, so I should have been rested. And I just had this awful day. So we just kept going anyway. He kept on piling on the training. And I showed up in UK. Um, and I think I was 125th out of the water. Got off the bike in about 50th. And as I was coming to the end of the bike, so the answer to the first question that you asked right at the start, um, when did I start to think it was possible or when did I start to believe it? When I was coming to the end of the, the bike, I passed um, an American female pro and a friend of mine who'd been to Kona had told me that's where I should be. I should be up with the, the lead pros, the lead pro females. That's where the, the qualifying would be. And I passed her near the end of the bike. And for the first time, I actually believed it. I didn't really believe that I was going to be able to do it all the way through. I was just following instructions. And I got very emotional towards the end of the bike. And I think I, I tried to use that to, to feed me, to, to keep myself going. So I got off the bike and the instructions that the coach and Ashling had given me for the day were to treat the first 50k of the bike as a warm-up and then I could do whatever I wanted and treat the first 10k of the run as a warm-up and then I could do whatever I wanted. And... I was about seven or eight K into the run and I just felt unbelievable. I, I, I couldn't hold myself back. I couldn't contain myself. And I, I just got faster. I surged past a guy, you're running along a canal in the UK and I passed him and I just kept on getting faster and faster and faster. I felt like I was floating. Um, I think I ran three Oh six on a really hilly course. Um, albeit a little bit short, um, and came, I think eight with seven slots. So I missed qualifying by one slot that day in two minutes. Mm. So I sort of walked away really disappointed, but also I felt completely different. I immediately felt like a Kona qualifier because now I was up racing with these people and I, I knew, listen, two minutes over a nine and a half hour race is nothing. So it, it, it wasn't that upsetting. It just meant, okay, you're going to have to go back and do it again. So we still had the entries for Florida. Um, I kept on training for that and started to get a bit cocky with the training started ignoring the coach and went out and did a 210k ride and a 40 minute 10k run off it one day when he had told me not to and completely fried myself and took a couple of weeks to recover maybe a month and uh that sort of scuppered uh florida a little bit i think i came similar in florida i might have been three or four minutes away from it and uh the following year I went back to UK again and qualified on a roll down um, and the next year I qualified with a puncture in a, in a straight qualification so I'd seen this progression where the training 
had built year on year. And the that was one of the things that I'd realized. It, it was a multi-year process. So the coach was, was, was fairly accurate in what he said. I just adapted to the training quicker than he thought I would. And I was probably a bit stupider and, you know, just kept on doing things I shouldn't have done. Um, but it, I could see this progression that year on year, I got faster on the run, I got faster on the bike, and I gradually just moved further and further up in the age groups. Did, um, obviously, you were training a huge amount um, by the sounds of it. Do you think there was any other way? I mean, yeah. I guess people are probably listening to this going, okay, I really, really want to get to Kona, but there's no way in hell I can dedicate, you know, 30 hours a week or whatever it was that you were doing at the time. You know, in hindsight, do you think there was, uh, there, was there is another way? And, and maybe what advice do you give to others who maybe have the same aspirations as you as how they can actually get from that position of being a mid-packer to being a sort of Kona contender? Um. I don't think there's any way around the volume. I don't think 30 hours a week is normal, though. Um, I think that was almost him at the start, just seeing if I was actually going to stick with it. Was he going to waste his time with someone who gave up after four weeks because it was too hard? It sort of settled at about 20 hours a week. And I think for someone like me with no sporting background, there wasn't really any other way to do it. I don't think you can get the physical adaptations needed. And particularly now, it's harder now to qualify than it was 10 years ago. Um, I think you need the long bike, you need the long run, you need, the, you need a lot of swimming. I, I don't think there's any way around 16, 18 hours a week. That sort of needs to be a normal week. And then it ramps up, I think, for 10, 12 weeks. And it's, it's not rocket science. I think... One of the things I learned was in order to train as much as I did for the first year, or year and a half, I needed to slow everything down. So I biked a lot slower. I ran a lot slower. So the easy stuff got really, really easy. And I think that was the, the first thing I learned. Easy. Most people, I think, train easy as five-minute kilometers, fast as four-and-a-half-minute kilometers. There's not a big differential between their easy and their fast easy for me started being six minute plus kilometers and fast started being sub four minute case. So there was a, a two minute per kilometer difference and, and there was three or four gears in between there. But the easy stuff had to get that easy because I was so tired a lot of the time. Um, and the only way I could go out and ride for with those big bike weeks, the only way I could do 25 or 30 hours on the bike was to slow it down an awful lot for me in the start anyway without blowing myself up but I didn't have the background that a lot of guys had like even when I was racing for years at the local stuff I was training three four five six hours a week and I, I would have been very typical of a lot of athletes at, at that sort of level in that I probably only trained for six months of the year in the winter I was a bit soft and I didn't go out riding in the rain and you know or I certainly didn't train very much in the winter I train, you know, I'd start training six or eight weeks before the race season and I'd train and race through it and then I'd, I'd take three or four months off. Um, John, we, we are going to be running a little bit on time. So where did you, where did you qualify? Say that again? Uh, we're, just, we're just going to be running low on time. So we just, okay. where, where, did you, where did you qualify? Where did, where did you actually get qual- your qualification? I qualified in, in Bolton in the UK both times. Okay, so then you qualify, you go to Kona, uh, what was the experience like? Like, you did, were you going there to race, or were you going there just to have like a, the experience? What was the experience like? Oh no, the first time was just the experience. It was go and do the underpants run. It was uh, it was dress up as a leprechaun. Um, it was enjoy the race. It was get the whole Kona atmosphere and and just experience it and soak it all up. I didn't know if I'd ever get back again. Um, the second time. I went to try and improve on the first one. Uh, it's it's a much harder race than I'd ever anticipated. You look at the profile, it doesn't look that difficult. There's not that much climbing on the bike. The run is fairly flat, but the conditions are just unbelievably difficult. The wind on the bike, the first year we had really big wind. The second year, it wasn't as bad. It was really, really hot, really humid. It, that was the first year was the real extreme Kona experience and it, it was so hard. It was so much harder than anything I'd done up to then. Um, the second year I went and made less mistakes and enjoyed the race a lot more, but still felt, I still felt like I was on that upward tra- trajectory and I, I could get a bit more competitive at it, but I wouldn't have been, 
I don't remember where I finished. I think that if I had gone back a third year, I might have been getting into the top 10, I reckoned, wow. in an age group. But uh, it, on a very good day, top 10. Yeah. Um, I could see that progression. Um, and, and Ashling and the coach I was working with at the time taught that as well. Just, I've got to ask this question. When you, when you do Kona and it's been the massive goal for, for so many years, you know, I've seen it in a lot of athletes. Once they've done it, they're kind of almost done with the sport and, the, and, the, and, the, and it's such a big letdown. You know, how, how was it for you? And it sounds like you're still going. So how did you kind of reach your pinnacle and then stay motivated to stay in the sport? Uh, I don't think I ever did reach the pinnacle. Um, and that was partly what kept me into it. Um, after I did it in 2013, so th- there was no letdown. It was everything I thought it would be. It was just the best experience I'd ever had. Um, I thought that there would be an element of me going, ticking the box and moving on to something else. It was all I could think about for years. I wanted to go back again. Um, after I came back after the second year, um, I had a, a pretty bad back injury. I picked up in Ironman UK qualifying the second time and I'd raced through it and I'd had it for a number of months and I ended up getting back surgery in 2014, which took a long time to come back from. Um, but I'd still have the itch now to... To, to go back and, and try and qualify. I think I understand a bit more. I suppose, looking back now, I was very naive. I didn't really understand the sacrifice it was going to take from a business point of view and, and everything else. And sacrifice is the wrong word because we're, we're doing what we love, so it's not really sacrifice. I didn't realise the other things that were going to suffer for it. So the business, for example, or any of those things. And I look at it now and I don't know that I'm willing to step out of the business as much as I did back then um, to, to do it. And I can see it's much harder now. Like I, I raced again reasonably competitively in um, 17, 18, 19. And again, was, was sort of one space away from qualifying a couple of times. And I still have that hunger to go and do it. I just don't know that I'm willing to step out of the business or step out of my home life as much as I did back then to do it. But the, the drive is still there. The hunger is still there. I love it. It's 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 the best sport I've ever been in. I've, it, there's nothing else like it. It's really addictive. I love the training. I love the racing. The people that I've met, like everybody I know now, all my friends, all our acquaintances, they're all through triathlon and cycling. The, the book, what inspired the book? Um, at the very start, when I decided that I was going to try and qualify, um. Ashling was, was running at a high level at the time and she was being interviewed by, by an Irish sports magazine and they, they called up one day and they said, can we arrange an interview? And I said, yeah, do you want me to come along? And, and she said, no, no, we just want Ashling, the athlete. And I, I thought, I'll fucking show you. <laughs> so about six months later, I, I approached her and I said, I'm doing this Kona thing. Would you be interested in me writing? I, I kept a blog for the shop for years and I, I didn't think I could write, but I sort of thought it's a good way to get publicity for the new shop. We've just opened this big thing. So I said, are you interested in me writing a series of articles where I'm going to try and go from, you know, being a very unfit smoker to qualifying for Kona? And she thought, that's a great idea. Great hook. That'll do. So I wrote three or four uh, pieces in the magazine leading up to the UK. And then they kept me on for another year until I actually did qualify. So I had a lot of the material written in those articles. And Ashling suggested it afterwards. Um, like Ashling would have been the one who, she was the one who guided me an awful lot of the way with, with training and encouraged me with telling me I could do it and stuff like that. And she did the same with the book. She was the one who said, you've got all that. Why don't you write the book? And that was when I was in bed uh, after the back surgery. I, I was in bed for a couple of months after back surgery. And, and that's when I wrote that. Very good. Is it, uh, I mean, um it's where people can get it from is it Amazon or it's Amazon. Yeah. yeah. So guys, yeah. Cool. Amazon, or if they, if they, if they want to get in an airplane and fly into Dublin, we have them in, in the shop. <laughs> so it's cool guys. It's called chasing Kona. It's by Rob Cummins um, from back of the pack smoker to racing the Ironman world champs in Kona. Um, and it's great because I know there's so many of the listeners out there that, you know, they might not necessarily be able to do it your way, but I'm sure they'll be able to take a number of points from it. So um, what are you in, in terms of, uh, you know, where to from here? Any big aspirations in the next couple of years? You know, it's um, tricky times with racing in different parts of the world, but any any big plans coming up and anything else you want to promote? Um, 
Ashling suggested a couple of weeks ago that we go and do a 50k ultra um, just to keep us training and racing. And I said, okay, let's do that. And then I realized the next day there was 100k on as well as part of the same <laughs> thing. So I decided I'd do the 100. So I have 100k coming up in August. So I'm I'm mostly running. I've I've got a short lead into it. So we've about ten weeks to get ready for that. So I reckon it'll be about the same length of time as an Ironman. All going well. Excellent. You're a crazy man. We love well, it. Hey, thanks for coming <laughs> show. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link to the book in the show notes and uh, keep up the good work. It, it sounds like it's a great story. And if you are again, if you want to go deeper into the story, go to the show notes and I'll put a link to the book in the show. One notes. last thanks, question, thanks though, Rob. Um, name of the bike shop so if people can come in and see you. And it's Wheelworks. There you go, guys. Wheelworks in Ireland. Awesome, Rob. Thanks for your time. Jumbo, your thoughts? That was awesome. You know, and it's. <laughs> I think people want this silver bullet on how you get to Kona. And if, there's lots of different methods, and a lot of it depends on your, a, your motivation, your mental strength, your physical capacity, capabilities. But Rob sort of showed, you know, probably the, the old school way of doing it and just knuckling down doing some big volume and i think there's there's different ways of doing it but bike volume if you've got the time and you're able to do it is is fantastic john you know because he is the traditional model for and we had to kind of cut him short because we were on a zoom but we we're only 40 minutes on and, and again my day's booked up like madness but um just with the volume thing what are you know let's say you are a guy who can only and, and you don't come from an athletic background because those kids who are swim kids run kids you know they've just got their edge because their body's kind of a bit more used to being an athlete is it possible to be a like a 10 to 13 hour guy 8 to 13 hour guy to get to Kona if you don't come from that real athletic background uh it's going to be pretty tough as as I think Rob alluded to I think you've got to have that period where you you know you if your time's limited to Monday to Friday, get that, but you're going to have to de dedicate some time at the weekends to do those big bike rides. And, and I think you're going to have to have, you know, some, some periods where you go, <clears throat> I'm going to let two of the sports go. So if you're somebody who's time, time short or time, um, time poor, then you're going to have to find those times where you go, okay, I'm going to have to do some volume at the weekends and just go biking for, for two days in a row. And for a lot of people, they're not prepared to, to make that commitment, which is totally understandable. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, you've got to learn how to do plenty of five to six hour bike rides. Um, and, and ideally, you know, Rob sounded like he did some camps doing things like Epic camp, where you're going to do that day after day after day after day. Um, but one, some way or the other, you kind of got to find a way to, to get some bike volume in there, in my opinion. Yeah. It's, it, and as you say, it, the problem is Kona is always a golden ticket. And I think anyone who signs up to as an Ironman deep down inside themselves has a little bit of a spark of loving to get to Kona. But there is, you know, accepting the limits you have around how you achieve a goal is really important as well. And so, because I think a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, we've all met people in this sport who think they can get to Kona, but realistically, when you look at the time and commitment they can put to the sport, it's pretty unlikely unless they get like a, you know, well, like a lottery slot, which well, they don't do lottery nowadays. What do they do? They do. Uh, you got to do the, do, do the legacy. So you got to okay, keep so, going. So unless you do the legacy and, and that's, that's definitely an option, but yeah, there is, it's, it's, it, and especially as you're saying, like when I qualified, what did I qualify? I think I did nine eighteen when I qualified for Kona. Um, mm. You know, my, and I'm in my age group, but the, the, nowadays you, it's pretty tough. You'll be pretty, it's pretty tough. You know, you, you've got to be a pretty bloody good athlete to get there. So hopefully you gave some insight. Now, the book is called um, Chasing Kona, From Back of the Pack Smoker to Racing Ironman World Championship in Kona. And again, I'll put that in the show notes. If you go to the show notes, www.iamtalk.me, you can get the link to where it's on Amazon, and you can check it out. Obviously, we have to go into a bit more insight and a bit more depth into what Rob did to get to Kona and achieve some pretty important goals. John, let's get into a sponsor. Beam. Beam. High-quality, functioning supplements for better balance, performance, recovery, and sleep. And you can check it out at beamtlc.com. Uh, John, what do you want to talk about today? Uh, so use the promo code IAMTALK. It's only for North American listeners. So we've talked about them before. They broke, break their products down into four areas. Energy, so you can find presence, a better state of mind, and overall zen with balanced life. Uh, they've got a electrolyte powder with uh, prebiotics and probiotics. They've also got the energy range, um, which has got a electrolyte 
uh, electrolyte energy powder formulated with beetroot green coffee bean and citrulline they've got their recovery range um, where they've got an electrolyte powder with some non-gmo collagen um, peptides uh, branch chain amino acids uh, for support of joint and muscle health and then they've got their sleep range which we've talked about before where they've got an awesome sort of hot chocolate powder um, which helps promote sleep and uh, yeah so they've got those four different areas and they've also got some starter packs so whenever you we, we sort of uh, plug companies sometimes you just want to give it a go you can check out their starter packs and that can give you just a little insight see if you like the flavors see if it works for you and if it does uh, head on down and get some more so check it out beam TLC um, and use promo code I am talk only for our North American listeners but some fantastic products and Bevan you might need that sleep product a little bit later this week no I don't think I need sleep I need the energy product <laughs> sleep ain't going to be a problem it's the energy product I'm just looking at the reviews on the gifts I mean on the um for the sampler product with the starter pack it's just some Morgan P's got here I bought this as a gift for a friend and she loves the options included especially having both the dream blend and the powder included so if you're it's a kind of cool idea for a gift as well so and, and if you read the reviews like I was absolutely satisfied with my variety in the sampler box the blue dream and recovery with my favorite overall saw an improvement in my sleep quality and and recovery after intense workouts when I use the recovery as well so you know, the feedback they're getting is really good feedback. And this is all very recent uh, reviews. So again, if you guys want to check it out, just go to dreamtlc.com. Check out the starter pack. Now, I'm not quite sure if the discount code will work with the starter pack because they actually have a discount on the starter pack anyway. But if it does work, give it a shot. You never know. There you go beamtlc.com check 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 it out okay jombo let's go to that's that's pretty much it isn't it because we're not, I'll, we're not... I'll do we'll do a quick coaches quick coaches go this is good this is going to be a quick one because but uh, but it's a topic that i really uh quite enjoyed coming up with the other day but it's not really my idea at all i was riding along the other day <laughs> even, and uh we had a group ride with our club down here that i organized and was riding next to nicole wilson i think she sometimes listens to the show i swim with nicole quite a bit um and she's i said oh you know what have you been up to she i i, I set a new adult pb in the pool the other day mm. I thought, what an adult pb i thought that's an awesome term. I'm taking that and I'm using it on the podcast um, because Nicole's an ex-swimmer and um, for people like me who used to be used to be fast in the, the younger days, um, you're never going to set a PB for the rest of your life. I've never, never, never – I can probably swim – be lucky if I can do 75 metres in the pool at the pace I used to be able to do 100. Um, yeah. So I think the idea of an adult PB is awesome. But I even think going a bit further than that and having a 10-year PB. So, you know, setting a PBs for your 40s, for your 50s, for your 30s. I think it's awesome. I'm actually quite excited about it, Bevan, as you can probably tell. Because, um, yeah, as you get older, you aren't going to be setting PBs unless you're new to the sport. And it's just a great way for going, right, this is my 40-year-old PB. So I've got my 40-year-old Ironman PB now. I think my – I've got to go do another marathon now, Bevan, because my – Marathon PBs from I think from the thirties. So wait, so that? so the the idea is to get PBs in your forties. Yeah. And, so and do I you set targets for that? Because I know, like you know, like is it is it, is it more just trying to get my PB in my forties by continually racing to see how fast it can be in my forties, or is there a number that you go in my forties? I still want to pop out a two forty marathon. Uh, it's probably more a case of taking a reality check of where you're at, and so we I did wrote what when did I do wrote. 2017 so i think that counts as my 40 year old pb for uh, for ironman but yeah I, I just take a reality check going don't think i can get down to that time like with my current 5k to 5k that's sort of my little target at the moment it's like i know you've got to look within your capabilities of the time how much time you're able to commit to training and uh and then just set some time goals and i've i've I am still thinking about the sub nine hour um, when i get to 50 which is i'm not even, i'm turning 45 and just over a month so it's still a few years away but having those longer term goals i think for your for your next age group i think is um cool and can keep you going so the concept is is basically setting pbs for and you like the idea of decades i, I like the idea of decades it, it might it might get a little tricky when you get to the end of your decade especially as you're you're getting a little bit older um but i think it's realistic to be able to go at a similar speed to when, when I'm 49 as opposed to say when I'm 
44. I don't think it's uh, crazy to think that you can't be able to do that. Probably it's the only downfall of the of the strategy, isn't it? Because you are fading at the end of the decade. Maybe five you know, five years too short in some ways, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Although if you can get a pull, if you can pull off a PB in those last couple of years of the decade, that's pretty bloody rewarding, isn't it? Yeah, when you get to sixty nine versus sixty, maybe I think it gets exponentially harder. So maybe we should make a rule. Once you get to 60, you're allowed five-year age groups. Up yeah. 60, it's 10-year age groups. Okay, there we are. We've made the official Iron Talk rules around this. So the Iron Talk rules say decade challenges, decade PBs are something you want to be thinking about putting into your life as you age, especially if you've been an athlete for a long time because most of your progress is going to be behind you. Um, as you hit 60, you go to the five-year categories. There you go. Like Paint it now. Patent it. Patent it now. Okay, guys, uh, let's let's wrap up the show. So let's so I say thank you to our patrons. We have got George Gray, Mr. Madman. I've got Alistair Speed Feet Fleet. And Paul, Mr. Detention Dean. So because we're our sponsor, and it is Beam. Beam creates high-quality functioning supplements for better balance, performance, recovery, and sleep. Remember to use the discount code I am talk at checkout and you can get the link to their website on our website anytime as well. If you want to get the show emailed to you, go to imtalk.me. Jeez, I was going to say .com. Um, just down the bottom of the page. Also, if you want to become a patron, that's where you can become a patron. Also, thank you to all the listeners who are patrons. I know we only mentioned a few each show, but those who are, we really appreciate your support. CoachJohnNewsome.com for some coaching. Uh, my website for my other podcasts, Bevan James Isles Show. Go to BevanJamesIsles.com. Other cool websites of the week. Uh, age group of the week, other feedback, I am talkpodcast at gmail.com. John, your goss. My goss. So since last week's show, which we haven't even recorded yet, I'm actually very excited to watch the ITU from last weekend because uh, it's pretty much a world championship field. Everybody's there and you've got the intrigue of how Alistair Brownlee went. You've got the intrigue of how Lucy Charles went. Some of the athletes we haven't seen racing for a very long time, like Flora Duffy. Uh, so I'm generally pretty excited about an ITU race. Uh, that was the weekend. It's been Queen's birthday weekend over here. So I've had a holiday yesterday. And do, you, do you take it off? Uh, I'll probably take most of the day off, I think. Yeah, I think I've got yeah. things under control. Don't have to prepare for a podcast uh, yeah. the next day. I'm helping you out, mate. And I would have been up to Hamner for the weekend. Oh, nice. Well, I'll yeah. be at Hamner this weekend. Very good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're confusing each other now going, which weekend are you no, really no. talking so about? So you're going to Hamner. When are you going to Hamner? Queen's birthday? Queen's birthday, Saturday, probably. Well, just I'm going the, the following probably. weekend. So Joe and I, we're, we're, so the reason we're away this week is we're pre-recorded is because Joe and I have gone away for a week. We're taking a group of runners up to Mapua to do a race called K2M. Uh, once we do that, then we head, we spend a couple of days in Kaituri and actually I need to steal a mountain bike from someone. Um, I was just in the back of my mind, I'm thinking this right now. Um, yeah. So go to Kaituri for two days, I think. And then we spend two, two or three days in Mapua, a couple of days in Kaiteri, and then we're going to spend four days in Hamden on the way home. I know this isn't relevant for the listeners, but I've got a crappy mountain bike up there if you need it. Oh, oh maybe I will borrow it. Just, <laughs> yeah, is, it just, is it just like in your garage or something? Yep. Okay. I'd yeah. Okay. <laughs> crappy, cra- crappy enough to ride? Yep. Yep. Okay. Done. Lock it in, Eddie. Yeah. Lock it in. That works <laughs> well for me. You have a goss? No, that is about it, I think, Bevan. Do you think the Olympics are going to go ahead? No. Well, no. Uh, oh, I think it maybe will, but God, I really, really don't think it should. But do you know what's going to happen? It's really annoying me. Do you know what's going to happen? What? You're going to watch all of it. And when it's on, you're going to go, I love it. I hate it. You're going to be conflicted because I'm, I'm the same way. It's like, come on, guys, this seems pretty obvious. It shouldn't be happening. Don't I haven't pulled the plug by now. It doesn't matter they're going to pull the plug. But when the Olympics are happening, John, I'm going to be in my element. I just feel sorry. For, I feel sorry for the athletes. I feel sorry for Japan. And it just seems a stupid thing to hear. We're going to, we're going to probably say this every week till the Olympics. It just seems like a stupid thing to do. Yeah. Anyhow. I'm with you. I'm with you. Iron rusts. Oh, oh, that's it, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm conscious, conscious, conscious of your day. Oh, yeah, so, I mean, don't. Train hard. Train smart. Here you come.